It's also worth saying that Donald Trump is, if anything, more extreme now than he was in 2016. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Hello America fans and welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings you an international perspective on US politics and foreign policy. Today we're talking Republican Party politics in which the big story is that Donald Trump looks on track to seize the party's nomination for president. That's a development that's a surprise to nobody except perhaps Ron DeSantis, but it's worth unpacking what it means for the party and for the possible future of America. Talking of DeSantis, he's now left the race, he dropped out a couple of days ago after a poor showing in the Iowa caucuses, and Nikki Haley remains Donald Trump's only opponent for the nomination. Last night was the primary in New Hampshire. Trump won handily by about 10%, but he didn't dominate, and Haley's still showing signs of strength. So there are these flashing kind of points of weakness for Donald Trump heading into the general election, and we're going to talk about those today as well. I'll also look back a little bit on the DeSantis campaign, what went wrong, why DeSantis went from this person around whom there were such enormous expectations to a really humiliating end to his campaign, dropping out just one day after his first contest and then endorsing Donald Trump right away. I really hope you enjoy America Explained. If you do, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. That really helps other people find the podcast. It signals to our algorithmic overlords that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. I really appreciate it if you could do that. And also consider checking out our newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Click that link and you can subscribe to the newsletter. There's six free posts a month and a couple of paid posts a month. So check that out if you want more regular content from America Explained. Okay, so let's start by talking about the results of these contests that have happened so far. So the Iowa caucuses took place about a week ago and then the New Hampshire primary was last night. Donald Trump won both of these contests, but he didn't dominate either of them. So he got about 50%, 50 to 55% in both of these contests. That's a good showing. It, it shows that he is almost definitely, well, let's say definitely going to win the primary. He is going to become the Republican nominee for president. But it also shows that there's a huge chunk of the Republican electorate who is not lining up behind him, who has not got on the Trump train, and was still looking for some alternative, someone else to vote for, be that Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, or somebody else. So heading into the general election, Trump has a problem, it seems actually, based on these primary results, that there are large numbers of Republican and independent but conservative-leaning voters who are saying that they don't want to vote for Donald Trump, and in fact, they will never vote for Donald Trump. If that is true, if they don't change their minds between now and November, then that means that Trump is really, really going to struggle to win over independents and swing voters. And independents and swing voters are really, really important in American elections because American elections nowadays get decided by very, very small margins in just a few swing states. Usually, just a few tens of thousands or perhaps at most hundreds of thousands of votes 
actually decide the result of a presidential election. And if Trump is struggling, as he did in 2020, to win over this, this core of independent voters, it's going to make it really hard for him to beat Biden, uh, even though Biden has a lot of electoral vulnerabilities of his own. So this should be somewhat of a warning sign for Trump, actually, the, the results of these two primaries. And it's kind of interesting if you drill down into the exit polls and you listen to what Republican voters are saying about why they voted for Trump or why they didn't vote for Trump, that you see that actually very few of them are thinking about electability. So in New Hampshire, only I think two in 10 or three in 10 um, of the Republicans who voted in that primary said that voting for a candidate who could beat Joe Biden was the most important thing to them. Most of the people who voted for Trump did so just because they love Donald Trump. They feel that they're part of his MAGA movement. They really love this kind of mystical connection that he has with that core of voters. And that's what they're thinking about. They're really, really invested in the idea that the 2020 election was stolen, that Trump is the victim of a conspiracy to drag him through the courts and try to throw him in prison. And they think that Trump is somebody who reflects their values and stands up for people like them. And that's why they're voting for Donald Trump. And they're not really thinking about electability. And if they were thinking about electability, I think it's clear that they would opt for Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, although I disagree with her politics and her principles on almost every point, is a very effective politician. She's a very smooth, successful, electable politician. And given Biden's vulnerabilities, which I've talked about before on this podcast and I will talk about again, I think that the Biden campaign would be much, much more scared of going up against Nikki Haley than it is against Donald Trump, because it views Donald Trump as a very, very flawed candidate. But Donald Trump is who they're going to get, because that's what Republican Party voters, primary voters want. Another way that you can kind of look at the results here and, and, and break them down is that there's a really kind of expected rural versus urban divide here. And rural versus urban often kind of matches education. So you find more educated voters live in urban areas and you find that lesser educated voters live in more rural areas on average. It's just kind of a fact about the demographic composition of America. And again, you really see Trump struggling in these urban areas, in suburban areas, which again are the areas that are really going to decide the election. So, you know, Donald Trump can run up crazy numbers in rural counties where not many people live, but if he's not really competitive and really winning among voters in massive urban and suburban districts, then again, he's going to struggle to win that general election. You know, in 2020, everybody was really shocked when the Democrats won in Georgia. The reason they were able to win in Georgia was because of this tremendous growth that's taken place in the suburbs of Atlanta. Many people have moved into that city from other parts of the country. And the fact that suburban Atlanta swung away from Trump towards the Democrats, and, and these were often Republican voters who were voting for Republican congressional candidates, but then for Joe Biden in the president election, the fact that they swung towards the Democrats were, was why Trump lost in Georgia. So you, you have to really believe that people have forgotten why they didn't like Donald Trump or that they have come to despise Biden so much 
to think that that type of voter is going to swing back towards Trump. And I think, though, actually what, what's likely to happen, sometimes it's the case that a candidate will become more popular as they campaign. That often happens when voters are getting to know a candidate for the first time, when maybe they don't know much about that person, they're not very tuned into the election, they're not really paying attention to the news, and the more and more that they learn about a candidate and the more and more they kind of absorb partisan messaging about why that candidate is great, or supposedly great anyway, then the more they come to like that person. But with Donald Trump, I think that we might actually see the opposite effect over the coming year. People already know Donald Trump. There's, there's hardly a voter alive in America today who hasn't already had an extreme amount of exposure to Donald Trump, who he is, and they've developed views about him. And I think that as they are reminded of who he is in the coming year, as they realize that he's definitely going to be the Republican nominee, then they are going to kind of remember why they didn't like him. They're going to remember why they didn't like the really chaotic state of politics under Trump. They didn't like the fact that his endless controversies sucked up so much energy and so much attention and, and made life seem so chaotic all of the time. And the average person doesn't want to think about politics that much, I think it's fair to say. And there's a lot of academic research that shows this as well, that but the average voter is not as engaged in politics as, as me and, and probably you as the listeners to this podcast are. And they often can react very badly to being exposed to and kind of pushed to participate in extreme partisanship and, and media cycles full of controversy, which are constantly roiling the nation. So the bet that Democrats are taking and the bet that the Biden campaign is taking, and I think it's probably a reasonably good bet that as in the coming year, we all become consumed by Donald Trump's legal troubles and the controversies that he causes. People are going to be more and more turned off from him. And it's also worth saying, you know, two other things that firstly, I, it's really become noticeable that this is not the same Donald Trump who was running in 2016. So over the last few days, Donald Trump has said some truly baffling things um, while at events that really make it seem that his mental acuity is not what it was eight years ago. So on one occasion, he said that Nikki Haley was the person who was in charge of security at the Capitol on January 6th, and hence she is responsible for the insurrection going down the way it did. Now, he misspoke, I guess. He meant to say Nancy Pelosi, but this was while he was doing a monologue about Nikki Haley. So there was no reason for him to be talking about January 6th or security at the Capitol at all. And it really, really came across as a, as a moment when he didn't know what he was talking about. And then another instance, this was um, at a rally in New Hampshire. He just started saying sentences that made no sense whatsoever, even by his own standards. He said, he said we are an institute in a powerful death penalty. What does that even mean? I have no idea what that sentence was, was supposed to mean. And I think that all of this stuff that's been said about Biden's mental acuity supposedly been bad, and it is definitely true that Biden often um, trips over his words when he's talking, that it's going to become more and more apparent that Donald Trump is doing this a lot as well. It's also worth saying that Donald Trump is, if anything, more extreme now than he was in 2016. I think Trump is struggling with, from what his perspective is, a problem, which is that 
it's harder for him to get the media to generate the kind of controversy and, and, and anger towards him because people are so used to him saying the most ridiculous and outrageous and hateful things now. So in order to generate this controversy, which he, you know, lives and dies for, that controversy is sort of the political oxygen that he breathes, he has to say more and more extreme things. So you probably heard a couple of weeks ago that he said that immigrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of America. Well, that's just straight up fascist Hitlerian rhetoric. I mean, the Nazis literally used that phrase. But Donald Trump's saying it, and then he just kind of shrugs it off and says, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that the Nazis said that. I think that this need that he feels to be more and more extreme is also going to harm him as well, because it's going to remind a certain subset of voters why they don't like Donald Trump and why they don't like where he leads the country, even as his most extreme supporters, of course, will lap up anything that he says. So these primaries, Donald Trump won, but he's showing a lot of real problems and, and warning signs. And I'm not sitting here and predicting, oh, you know, I'm not saying don't worry, Donald Trump is definitely going to lose this election. But I am just saying that we have to take a balanced picture of his performance so far. And these are definitely problems that we are seeing. Okay, after the break, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get a bit more into the DeSantis campaign and a few other things that have been happening in Republican Party politics over the last couple of months. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. So, Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. It's a stunning fall from grace for a person who only a year ago was touted as the man who could take down Donald Trump and the man who could lead Republicans to victory against Joe Biden. He did make it to the Iowa caucuses, but he didn't make it any further than that. He came second in the Iowa caucuses, but the polling was so bad for him in New Hampshire, it looked like he was really going to crash and burn. And he his campaign was falling apart around his ears. There were all of these stories of mismanagement and infighting and just everything that, that could have gone wrong with running a campaign seemed to have gone wrong. You also add to that the fact that he, as a candidate, was just so uncompelling. He really, really lacks the personal qualities that you need to do the sort of retail politics that you need to do to win caucuses and primaries. He's a weird guy in Florida. I think he existed in this real kind of protective bubble. He hardly engaged with the media at all. He was successful, but in a very conservative state, one where there's really not much competition from the Florida Democratic Party. And he just wasn't ready for the rigors of a national campaign. And so, yeah, he crashed and burned. Now, I've got a column out in The Guardian today about this, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. What I talk about in this column, though, is something a little bit different, which is, I think that actually when we look at DeSantis' campaign, what we need to explain more than anything else is, given he is so flawed, how did he get so hyped up? How did so many people come to think that this was the man who could deliver them from Trump and then deliver them from Joe Biden. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, there was this moment where Trump seemed very politically weak. And this was when 
the indictments started coming down first, particularly the classified documents indictment, which went, that's kind of got swept from the news cycle, but Donald Trump stole from the US government classified military and nuclear secrets and then left them in his bathroom at Mar-a-Lago and seems to have showed them to people. Now, that's stunning, actually. And when that happened, that seemed like a really big blow to Trump. And so did the 2022 midterm results, which were very, very bad for the Republican Party. Again, that seemed to have a lot to do with voters' rejection of the MAGA movement of what Donald Trump represents. But both of those things, the indictments and the poor election results, have been swept under the carpet by GOP primary voters. Like I said in the first half of the episode, people aren't voting for him because they think he's electable or that he's a good governor. They vote for him because they think that he has this connection to them, that he represents their values. And I always thought, and I've been writing about this for 18 months now, I always thought it was crazy to think that Ron DeSantis was the man who was going to break this bond between Trump and his voters. But I think the people who did want him to do that and did think he would, would do that were kind of like Republican writers, Republican donors, more educated Republican Party figures, ones who are not actually of the MAGA base. They probably live in big cities, they have big salaries, they have more economically and socially in common many in many ways with, with liberals, with more urban voters. And they kind of got sick of Trump. They think about politics through the lens of electability a little bit more. They were embarrassed by Trump. They, they realized that he's not a competent administrator, that he's a serial loser of elections. And they settled on DeSantis as the person who they thought could sever Trump's connection with that base, who could become the person that delivered a kind of Trumpism without Trump, that he would he has some of the same attributes of tr as Trump, or at least some of the same views. He's very focused on the war on woke. He's really, really aggressive towards the left and the media. But he had more of a track record of actually implementing policies within Florida that were based on this kind of culturally and socially conservative viewpoint. So I think DeSantis was the candidate of kind of, let's say, the MAGA elite or at least some of them, some of the Republican Party elite. And they really, really boosted him because they, you know, they didn't want Trump. But I think it's important to realize that wasn't that they didn't want Trump's policies or they didn't want Trump's values. They just wanted someone who, in their view, would be more a more efficient and more successful version of Trump. Now, you know, this has been an enormous failure, right? I mean, lots of people have wasted hundreds of millions of dollars and a lot of attention and energy on trying to back this guy who is a complete political failure, who just really, really has crashed and burned in this primary process. And I would like it if the people who, who did that would be reflective about what they've done, would be reflective about the fact that Donald Trump, even though he may embody these values and these policies which they like and which I find abhorrent, but okay, they, they like them. But Donald Trump, given his erratic personality, given his personal legal problems, given the fact that he led an insurrection to try to overthrow American democracy, that maybe now the DeSantis candidacy has failed, it would be good to stare reality in the face and say, we cannot back Donald Trump 
because of the danger that he represents to this country and its democracy. And instead, we're going to encourage people to either sit out this election or even vote for Joe Biden, who we may have policy disagreements with, but is a decent patriotic man, not a walking threat to the republic. But I don't think that's going to happen. What's going to happen is that these DeSantis backers are ultimately going to throw aside their scruples and go home to Donald Trump, a great number of them anyway. Because at the end of the day, they're just so bought in to the MAGA movement. They're so bought into its principles and values and so bought into its kind of mistaken view of reality in which the Democrats are the people who pose this massive threat to the country and the Democrats are the people who are destroying the country and destroying its democracy and undermining its values. And I think that you're going to see most DeSantis backers just kind of try to forget about this whole project and then try to get back into the good graces of Trump and, and the mainstream MAGA movement. And Ron DeSantis has led the way in doing that despite all the things that he said about Trump. And I mean, he's not gone as, as far as I would have liked in criticizing Donald Trump and distancing himself from Donald Trump, but he has criticized him a lot. He has implied that he doesn't have what it takes to be a good president. But then Ron DeSantis, when he dropped out, just went and endorsed Trump right away because he's trying to get into the good graces of the party and preserve the possibility that he can run for president again in 2028 or in the future. So there's this just this massive cynicism going on here, um, which I guess is very typical of Republican Party elites over the last 10 years or so, that they always end up bending the knee to Donald Trump in the end. Because among their party base, he represents this unstoppable force. And at the end of the day, these people feel like they've got to be on the right side of the base. Otherwise, they have no future in Republican Party politics. So that's Ron DeSantis. He's gone. He always represented this political and moral dead end. And it's just going to be a, an embarrassing, you know, embarrassing for him footnote in the history of, of, of this election and Donald Trump's inevitable march towards the nomination. Nikki Haley is still in the race. Some people are asking why she's not dropping out. I think it's pretty simple that even though now Nikki Haley has no chance of, of winning this primary, but I think that if she stays in for long enough, then in the event that something happens, like Trump has a heart attack or Trump goes to prison or gets disqualified from running for president, if Nikki Haley stays in the race for another month or so, she'll be able to say, well, hey, I was the candidate who, who did best in this primary. Other than Donald Trump, I did much better than that DeSantis guy. He dropped out straight away after Iowa. So I should now become the nominee. So I think basically Haley's just trying to kind of get a, an insurance policy here just to kind of make it that she is the heir apparent in the event that something happens to Trump. So she's going to stay in the race a bit longer um, to try to kind of create that impression. But I don't really think she's got no chance of winning this primary now. It was kind of notable in New Hampshire that the people who voted for her were in the exit poll. Many of them said that they weren't really very enthusiastic about Nikki Haley, but they just really hated Donald Trump and they, they wanted a protest candidate. That's not good news for Haley. It's also another sign of weakness for Trump that even though all of these people are not enthusiastic about Nikki Haley, they still turned up to do a protest vote. They still turned up to register their opposition to Trump. So that's another sign of, of a problem for him with the broader electorate. 
heading into the general election later this year. That's all from me this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of America Explained. If you do, please tune again next time and I'll be talking again about some interesting topic in US politics and foreign policy. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.